Welcome to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're excited you've joined us as we hear what God has to say to us through Scripture and this message from Pastor Paul. Well, this past Tuesday through Thursday, Adam Spear and I were at a rest retreat, is what it was referred to as, a rest retreat in the North Georgia mountains. Attended mostly by worship leaders and musicians, it was led by some incredible talent who drew us in closer to the Father's heart. If you're familiar at all with contemporary Christian music and, and if you listen to K-Love on the radio, then I'm going to name drop some of the folks that led us in worship those three days. Pat Barrett, Paul Balash, Meredith Andrews, Christy Knuckles, Kim Walker-Smith of Jesus Culture, all of whom have been on the radio, add in Todd Fields, Charlie Hall, Steve Fee, and Tasha Cobbs, who has won Grammys. Among the 250 or so of us in attendance, I had a conversation just over a meal with Dustin, who was a worship leader at a church in Denver, Colorado. And hearing more of his story, he talked about how it surprised him that he would be in that role, a worship leader in a church, because he didn't grow up in church. I asked him to share how he came to Christ, and he said it was through his then-girlfriend, now-wife. She was very active in her faith, very active in her church, and at a few, after a few dates, he didn't know this at the time, she started questioning more and more, should she be in a serious relationship with a non-believer? In fact, she was about to cut it off. When he said about that same moment, he got this tug on his heart, and he later realized that was God saying, you need to go to church Sunday. So he calls his girlfriend, and he says, hey, I'm going to meet you at church. Well, not only did he start attending, he started reading the Bible for the very first time, and he said he fell in love with Jesus. And the way Dustin put it, he thought Jesus was the coolest person on earth. And he ended his story by saying, why didn't anyone ever tell me about Jesus before? His parents obviously hadn't thought it was important enough. Any friends he might have met from school that were Christian obviously didn't think it was important enough. And here we are. Sitting in a church we love, a church we love to be a part of, and yet it's not just for us. Our God is way bigger. And the Lord Jesus wants us to keep wants to keep revealing himself to us so that we can take the Father's heart to others. So now we turn to Matthew 22 to a passage that answers the question that all of us Ask at one point or another, what does God want from my life? Here's how Matthew sets the stage. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. Now, let me define these two Jewish leadership groups, especially during Jesus' day. Let me start with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were very legalistic and a separatist kind of group. In fact, the name Pharisee means separate 
ones, separated ones. They separated themselves from everybody else because they thought they were better than anyone else. Because you see, they were the keepers of God's laws. They strictly, and oftentimes hypocritically, kept God's law before the people. Now, the Sadducees, on the other hand, different leadership group, they were less spiritual, more political, and they had this, this one belief that distinguished them. They did not believe in an afterlife, so there was no resurrection for anyone according to the Sadducees. Well, as different as these two groups were, they had one absolutely common theme. Jesus is a problem. So the Sadducees tried, now it's the Pharisees' turn. Matthew continues, one of them, one of the Pharisees, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Now, when we think today of of lawyer, I look past Frank Because what we usually think of are, you know, speeding tickets, trials, um, litigation. That's not the kind of lawyer that is spoken of in this passage. This is a theological lawyer, a highly trained expert in theological law. This was your Bible answer man. If there was ever a debate about how the Word of God connects to somebody's life, this is who you call. And as is clear from this reading, he was not on Jesus' team. In fact, he planned to test Jesus. That's the word. And that word test literally means to put something under stress so that its flaws and imperfections can be seen. In other words... This guy's plan was to use his vast Bible knowledge to make Jesus look bad and discredit Jesus. That's why he came up with the million-dollar question, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Why this question? Okay, well, it was to test him, right? He was going to test Jesus, and it's kind of like, well, let me see what this charlatan has to say. There's only one other gospel that tells this story, and that's Luke. And in Luke 10, 25, we're given a little bit different perspective on this question from this theological lawyer. From Luke 10, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Okay, that part, same as Matthew. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Going back to Matthew, Jesus replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets, all of the Old Testament, Jesus is saying, hang on these two commandments. What Jesus just did was summarize all of God's law. There are 613 commands in the Old Testament. 
The major ones that encompass them all are the Ten Commandments. And here's what's interesting. The first four of the Ten Commandments are about our relationship with God. The other six are about our relationship with other people. So the Ten Commandments themselves break into commandments about loving God and loving people. So first, God calls us to love Him above everything else in this world. You mean we're supposed to love Him above spouse and kids and grandkids, above sports and jobs and entertainment and living life the way that I want to, above all of that? Yes. To love God to that level and then to love our neighbors. You see, Jesus was describing the life of His followers. You can recognize my followers, Jesus would say, because they love God with all they've got and they love their neighbors as they would themselves. So what is it that God wants from our lives? Two things. The first is to be passionately in love with Him. The second is to have a radical love for people. Those two must go together to live a life pleasing to God. Now, before we go any further, I want you to notice this is, of course, taking place before Christ's death and resurrection. So what will the impact of Jesus' work on the cross and His rising from the grave have? Well, it intensifies what we know and experience of God's love so that we can love others that much more intensely. Look at another place where Jesus said, this is from John 13, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, in one sense, this isn't a new command. Love one another goes all the way back to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. So why is Jesus saying this is a new command? It's because the love that we have for others is now intensified in experiencing God's love for us. How does God want us to live our lives? First, to be passionately in love with Him. Second, a radical love for our neighbor. At this point in the story, Matthew ends the dialogue. There's no more discussion between he and this theological lawyer. Well, that would be too short of a sermon. So, Luke gives us more. I want to return to Luke chapter 10 and discuss this further encounter, this further dialogue between Jesus and this lawyer. Luke chapter 10, verse 29, it says that after that initial, this lawyer wanted to justify himself which literally means to make himself righteous. I want to justify myself, he's saying. So he asked Jesus, all right, I get the part, love God with all I've got. Okay, yeah, got that from an early age. But this loving other people thing, love your neighbor as yourself, well, who's my neighbor? You see, the lawyer wants to show off what a good person he is in front of everybody. He asks, who's my neighbor? And what he's expecting is a way to legitimately limit his love toward other people. You can kind of ask the question this way, who are the people I don't have to love? 
this is where Jesus takes the story in a direction that they didn't see coming. In reply, Jesus said, you know this parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. There literally is a road that goes from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's 17 miles long, and it makes a descent of about 3,300 feet. A long, windy road through desert places, rocky places, cliffs, caves, easy places to be hidden. Josephus, the first century historian, spoke about this road from the first century and from an antiquity up until the first century even. This road was known as a place of danger. And so Josephus even warned people. He said, you've got to carry a sword with you if you're going on this road because you don't know who you're going to encounter. Jesus tells of a man on the road, robbers jumped him. They stripped him, which means they took everything. They took his animal. They took his supplies. They took his wallet. They stripped his body of clothes. This dude was stark naked. And they didn't just take everything from him, but then they also began to beat him. We're talking MMA without gloves and a referee. I picture him on the ground with a group of people standing over him, pummeling him, taking off his clothes, kicking him in the ribs. That's the picture. Jesus said he was half dead. He is literally hanging on to life with a thread. But all was not lost. Hope is on the way. A priest happened to be on this same road passing by. Priests at that time were wealthy. They had plenty of cash. They knew God's law. They were considered the religious heroes of the day. If anybody would stop and help, you would think that this guy would fit the bill. But in this story that Jesus tells, what does the priest do? He not only walks by, he walks by on the other side of the road. He wants nothing to do with the man who's hurting. Now, we can only speculate why he would do this if this were something that the priest thought, well, if I don't know that he's dead and in that day and time, if, if you touch something that was dead, you were unclean and then he couldn't go on to the temple and, and serve in his regular duties because he'd be unclean for a few days. Or, or maybe it was because the priest just had too many other things to do, he couldn't be bothered. Maybe it was that he thought, well, if I linger in this area trying to help him, maybe those, those, those thieves and robbers are still around and I'll be the next victim. We don't know why he didn't help. It really doesn't matter. What matters is he found a way to make a legitimate excuse in his mind to not love his neighbor, especially a neighbor in need. The priest was a really religious guy who tried to focus on the vertical part of loving, but he neglected the horizontal part of loving God by loving other people. In the same way, the Levite passed by on the other side of the road. Who is a Levite? Well, he's like a junior varsity priest. 
He too is from the tribe of Levi, hence the name, like the priests are from the tribe of Levi. Levi. But priests come down the family line of Aaron, Levites don't, so they can't lead worship, they can just help in worship. Once again, we have a guy who loves God, and in his mind, he found a way to justify not loving his neighbor. He ignored the glaring need of this man right in front of him so that in his mind, he could say, well, that's not my neighbor. With both the priest and the Levite, we see the common problem of many Christians today. We devote ourselves to loving Jesus. We're attending church on the weekend, but we find a limit to our love for people. And Jesus says a life pleasing to God doesn't have just one of these two, loving God and loving people. It has to have both. To drive home the point, Jesus brings another character into the story. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying to him, look after this man. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have." Now, I won't take the time to go into the, all the reasons why Jews and Samaritans didn't like each other. There was a, a long history there. But just so you know, there was tension, theological-based tension, that they were opposed to each other, Jews and Samaritans. And so when the Samaritan sees this Jewish man beaten on the side of the road, hanging by a thread to life, what would you ordinarily think the Samaritan should do? Finish him off. <laughs> That's not what happened. This Samaritan sees this man on the side of the road, and what he feels for him is not disdain. It's not disinterest. What he sees is this man could be like his own son in, in, in a crisis. This guy goes out of his way. And binds up his wounds. Where do the bandages come from? Well, this is, you know, band-aids weren't invented yet. My guess is that he tore his own garment to make bandages for this person who needed to have his wounds taken care of, his bleeding stopped. And clothing in that day was not mass-produced. It was handmade. It was costly. And if that's the case, that this guy was ripping his own clothes to bandage his wounds to somebody he didn't even know. And then he pours oil and wine. Those were first century medical uh, ways of handling wounds. The wine would contain alcohol, which would be used as an antiseptic. The oil, most uh, scholars think, that uh, helped to soften the crusty layers of blood that maybe this guy has been laying there a while and he can't even move. And so the oil is, is there to soften that so he can move. And then what the Samaritan does, he puts this man on his own animal, and so he walks the rest of the way while this man who's beaten and hurt 
rides. He took him to an inn and stayed up all night caring for him, cleaning his wounds, stopping the bleeding, giving him food, something to drink, nursing him back to health. Notice the Samaritan doesn't just stop and run. He totally inconvenienced himself, and the next day he took two denarii, which a denarii is a coin used for one day's worth of wages. So whatever you make in a day, multiply that times two. And that's what he gave to the innkeeper, and it said, hey, if this isn't enough, when I get back, I'll reimburse you more. We're talking radical generosity for a person he didn't even know. A person that would never pay him back. A person that culture says he shouldn't even like. And you see, Jesus changed the question on this Jewish lawyer. The question that he should have been asking is not, who's my neighbor? Because I want to know where I can limit my love. The question he should have been asking is, how can I be a better neighbor to the people who need me? No matter where they are, no matter where they've come from, no matter who they are. Here's the big idea. It's easy to think that what God wants from us are lives given totally over to Him and live spiritual lives just like the priest and the Levite and nothing more. It's easy to think that all God looks at and and wants to know from us is, did we attend church and how many Bible verses did did we memorize? The truth is, while loving God passionately is the right thing, it is the primary thing, it's not the only thing. We love God passionately and we love people radically. What it boils down to is that nobody cares how much you love God if you don't show love for other people. Especially those people in need aren't going to care how much you love God. And you see, the sad truth is, just like the Samaritan who, in the Jewish eyes, was pretty far away from God, sometimes people that are far away from God do a better job of loving people than we do. Then Jesus wants to conclude this encounter with a lawyer by asking him, which of these three? You got the priest, you got the Levite, you got the Samaritan. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. It's the right answer. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and have mercy. You see, mercy is that love and compassion that you couldn't earn, that you don't deserve, and yet it's given anyway. And you know what that's a picture of, right? It's exactly what Jesus provided for you. You see, every parable that Jesus tells, either He's in it or some characteristic of God is exhibited through it. So, yes, Jesus is like the Samaritan who comes along to a hurting and hostile world and reaches out to every one of us and reaches out into our life of sin, into our life of separation from God, reaches into lives that have been 
overwhelmed by circumstances, and He takes all of that on Himself, and He dies in our place. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. He gives it to you anyhow. That's what makes the Christian faith unique. It's not based on how good you are. It's based on what Jesus has already done. It's based on His goodness. And just know this. He loves you. Because He loves you. We hope you found this message to be encouraging. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and at bhprez.org for more information.